Again, I want to make it clear that when we look at this theme, um, I'm not trying to read current event into the Bible, but as we read the Bible, there's application with that. Does that make sense? So you would not hear from me about secret Apache helicopters coming out and, and all that kind of uh, things, okay? But nevertheless, I think when we look at this, um, we're going to see this is really relevant because when we look at verses um, 8 to 11, what God is doing is He's telling uh, the Judean audience or those that are reading God's Word that it's very definitely clear that God is going to judge Nineveh. In fact, God's going to judge Nineveh and He's going to give for us today, if you look at verses 8 to 11, He's actually doing this by a comparison, okay? Uh, that would be a comparison um, with another empire, and that's actually the Egyptian empire, okay? Um, that's actually the Egyptian empire. And I can't help but to think about the timing of this because, yes, last week we were praying that there will be no war. If you guys remember Kofi and several of you guys, of the brothers mentioning that and sisters. But now this week is, you know, I think it's just already changed where now all of a sudden there is and everyone is, I think, surprised. Um, my personal opinion, I think everyone's caught off guard, okay? Even, um, I just saw a video clip in the beginning with this, that there's even a Russian lawmaker that's even publicly in TV say, I didn't even think there there's a war. And, and you know, some of you guys have I've talked to, it was mentioned, hey, there's all these soldiers that keep on saying they were were not. And I'm beginning to think this is not what they're telling them. There there seems to be the whole country, the whole world, even experts have surprised that this has happened. But for now, let's look at verses 8 to 11. And he's going to compare two empires. Assyria is his own empire. Remember, the whole point of Nahum is God is going to judge the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, Nineveh, with its destruction. But as he does, he's going to say, he's going to compare to a rival, one of the rival of what? Of, uh, of Nineveh is actually a city called uh, Noaman in your, uh, some of your Bible version in verses 8. But actually, some of your version might even say Thebes, which is actually perhaps the more better well-known name of the capital, of the capital of Egypt. Okay, so there's going to be a tale of two empires here, but it's also a comparison to make the point so that Nineveh is being mocked, is being taught to say, hey, you think you're so strong, but if this great city could fall, how much more you should not be one to be prideful, to think you would always be victorious. Okay, so there is here, if you were following along with these three points today, uh, my three points I think today is just more simple or, or more factual. I was just struggling to, how do I... How do I word this? Okay, but these are going to be our three points we're going to see as a taunt to Nineveh to let them know that God will certainly bring about judgment to Nineveh. Okay, we're going to see these three points to see for certain that God will bring about judgment towards Nineveh in the form of a taunt so that we will repent to God today. Okay, we will repent to God today. And I think this is important because sometimes we forget that, you know, God is all business about sin. Sin is a horrible thing. And if it is this case, then I think in our Christian life, repentance should be a regular habit thing in our life. Repentance should be regular, um, daily and, and regular, and more than day, throughout the day, multiple times. But when we look at this, these are going to be our three points for today. Point number one, we're going to see the advantage of Thebes over Nineveh. Okay, we're going to see the advantage of Thebes over Nineveh. Point number one is we're going to see the advantage of Thebes over Nineveh. This is based upon verses 8 and 9. Point number one, the advantage of Thebes over Nineveh. This is in verses 8 to 9. Okay. And then point number two, we're going to see yet Thebes was destroyed. Yet Thebes was destroyed. This is in verses 10. Okay. This is in verses 10. 
Yet Thebes was destroyed. This is in verses 10. Our point number two is, Yet Thebes was destroyed. I know, I think I saw someone just join in. Um, we're in Nahum chapter 3, verses 8 to 11, for anyone that just happened to join in, okay? So point number two is, Yet Thebes was destroyed. This is anchored in, vo uh, anchored in point, uh, voice, verse 10. And point number three, Therefore Nineveh too will fall. Therefore Nineveh too will fall. This is based upon verses 11, okay? This is based upon verses 11, okay? So here we see here um, with these verses um, that we see here. Um, it really, if you think about this, looking at these three points, for those of you guys who are into logical argumentation, I actually think the, tonight's argument of uh, three points is almost like a form of a syllogism or, or um, a logical argument of if this and that, right? Um, basically, point number one is being if Thebes is this powerful, more powerful than Nineveh, and if Thebes was able to be destroyed, how much more if God says, Nineveh, you'll be destroyed, you will therefore be destroyed, okay? So that's the gist of what I'm trying to say with these three points, okay? Um, before we go on, let's look at the context first before we go to point number two, because we always want to realize every passage is like a pearl, and it's like what John Piper says, it's connecting it as a necklace to another pearl with scripture. So how does this fit in verses 8 to 11 to the rest of other passage of Nahum? Is If you guys were remember last week, last week, um, I actually consider last week um, perhaps one of the, one of the pa I think there's many, but is one among, I would say in my own personal reading of scripture, it's perhaps up there in perhaps one of the darkest passage in describing the sinfulness of sin. Um, if you guys remember last week, we've looked at various reasons why God says he's going to destroy Nineveh. And I even mentioned about there's a part, if you pay attention very carefully, there's an aspect of even, um, there's a la aspect of confronting, uh, unmasking even sexual sins, specifically with human trafficking, even with prostitution. Um, and, and even, it's just a vivid description of prostitution, of even the fact that there's um, description of it being not just usually that person that's a prostitute, but there's pimps, right? There's a whole structure of human trafficking. And this is what uh, Syria was engaged in. I actually think last week, um, if you look at the outline, it was much more detailed because I have to keep it rated G for godliness because I have my three little daughters listening, okay? But nevertheless, it's so, when you look at it, it's just like, man, I was just dwelling on this, like, man, um, that sin is just such an evil sin that is involved with, with that. And when you see how ugly it is, then you understand more why God would be so severe with his judgment uh, upon these nations that's involved taking advantage of people and, and, and all this unmasking and just showing just the ugliness of, of what it is. So today, you don't really see in verses 8 to 11 and really uh, the rest of Nahum, uh, you don't really see why God judges. It's already given, but the description now is how God is going to judge. Does that make sense? How God's to judge. And I think if I could give an analogy right now, Russia, I, you know, I know there's various perspective and opinion, but there's no doubt, I, I think in my mind, that there's an aggression. That if we, someone says, hey, we want it to stop, all these violence, and we just say, hey, may this or that happen, you don't need to explain it because we, the whole world knows what's going on. Same thing, there's something similar with the way Assyria at that time period was going around conquering all these people. When you read this part, um, it's almost a given, okay? So here we're going to see the taunt. And Nineveh is going to be called as, addressed often here in verses 8 to 11 as you. And remember how I mentioned earlier that in Hebrew, the word you is more specific than in um, in English. English you is just like, you don't know, is it addressed to a man or a woman? Or is it one person or many? In Hebrew, there's gender, male and female. Um, and there's also what? Uh, numbers. 
you or you all, right? Like how we Southerners say that, right? In terms of plural. So here it's actually feminine singular. And that's consistent with all this usage whenever addressed Nineveh in Nahum. It's feminine singular you, okay? Sometimes when it addresses the king, it's masculine singular or their soldiers, masculine plural. But here, consistent with this, this is addressing towards Nineveh. So now let's look at this. Well, point number one, the advantages of Thebes over Nineveh, okay? And I actually think, like I said, this passage today, man, it's like so relevant, I, I think. But it addresses a lot about our pride, okay? About our pride, more than just like end time stuff, okay? Point number one, the advantage of Thebes over Nineveh. Okay, if I could have Rebecca and Abigail, um, when, actually Rebecca, could you come up and read for our passage again, just um, as we go over this, just so we hear God's word first, before we hear its exposition. Could you read verse 8 and 9 again? Are you better than no Ammon, which was situated by the waters of the Nile, which with water surrounding her, whose rampart was the sea, whose wall consisted of the sea. Ethiopia was her might, and Egypt too, without limits. Put, put and Lumbin were among her helpers. Okay, thank you so much for reading that. Okay, so in reading this, okay, um, we see here, I think what's going on is God's comparing another city, okay? Um, and in comparing this other city, he's making this main, the main point is really the first part. Where it says, are you no better than Noah Mon? Okay? Are you no better than Noah Mon? I'm just curious if any of your Bible version here actually says Thebes. The word T-H-E-B-E-S. Okay. Jesus, what Bible verse do you read? Do you use? Just curious. Um, right now I'm using the CSB. CSB. Okay. And then, uh, Chris, your version, is it ESV? Okay, and then Mrs. Burton, I heard you read earlier, is amplified, it clarified after saying that, which amplified often do. Okay, I'm correct with that. And then Eric, what is your version? I'm just curious that says Thebes. You're using ESV, NIV, NSB. Okay, oh, ESV. Okay, good. Okay, I wasn't sure. Okay. So yeah, uh, it's Thebes, and that's it's the name that's probably more known by. The Hebrew word for Thebes is actually Noaman, and the reason why it's called Noaman is actually in Hebrew, um, literally this means the city of Amon. Okay, with the name Amon being um, referring to the Egyptian god Amun. Okay, so that's uh, Amun is spelled A as in Alpha, F, uh, M as in Mike, U as in Uniform. And as in November, okay? So this is named after the Egyptian uh, god. And it's a city based upon that. We aren't surprised, right? Because people are religious, polytheistic, and there's going to be references to that, okay? So in looking at this, it's actually, like I said earlier, it is actually the Egyptian capital city known as Thebes, okay? And this would have been the rival city of, um, of Nineveh. If I could give you an analogy, if we were to have, let's say, and I'm so glad now we have we're using this app okay if if the united states is one empire washington dc is its capital then the other rival is what beijing okay or another way of saying it is you know maybe moscow or what you get the idea okay um here we see there's a comparison of these cities okay and the hebrew word when it says no better than um 
It's a hifil and perfect, which I actually think is reflective. And the point being made here is actually is just saying, it's not just saying, hey, will you be better then? Or, or, or it's not just saying, hey, just comparison, you're better. But it's saying more, I think, even the idea of like, hey, really, really think about it, guys, is what he's trying to say. Really think about it. Are you, when you reflect, thinking about all who you are, are you really in the future even better with your faith than even with, um, uh, than, uh, with Thebes, okay? Now, in that comparison, as you read this, even if you read some commentaries, some commentaries will point out, hey, you know what? There are some things that Nineveh has more advantage than even Thebes. But I think the main point of this is not to say, a hey, look at individual military detail of what's his advantage or geographical. But the main detail is to say, I think what's going on here is more of God trying to say, you two are the city that is most similar. You two cities are the most similar. And yet if you're so similar... In so many ways, you guys are, are the two rivals. There's no other cities like you guys that are cities that run entire empires. So therefore, if one could be destroyed, a you also could be destroyed when God says you will be destroyed. God could have prophesied a certain destruction of Egypt and it came about past. And if God could bring this about, how much more so do you think Nineveh, you could escape from God's judgment is the point here. Um and I think this is also ironic. And again, this is backing up a little bit of Bible verses just to know the historical background. Thebes was actually destroyed, you know, by who? It's actually by Assyrian forces, okay? It's actually by Assyrian forces, okay? Um, they would have known about this, okay? They knew about Thebes could be destroyed because why? It was the Assyrians that actually marched towards there in 663. Uh, BC. Basically, what ended up happening was um, before uh, I think Nahum was written when there was an emp uh, when it was at the Roman the, correction the height of the Assyrian Empire under Ashpenaz. Okay, I can't pronounce things well. Um, it was at the greatest height, but before that there was other kings. Okay, um, other uh, emperor um, with that, and there was two emperors before him that went and fought because Egypt would always try to spread their empire, right? And then the and then you have the clash. Think about it, it's almost like a cold war, so to speak, right? Um, have you guys ever feel like this last three years is crazy? This is a little bit side tangent. I just thought of this and I just had to put this on social media. I felt like 2020 was like the 60s, right? There's protests and all these things. 2021 was like the 70s in one year, right? There's a loss of a war, a long war. Well, Vietnam, not Vietnam, but Afghanistan, right? And there's a, you know, like the late 70s inflation. And 2022 is almost like, man, this is like the 80s, almost with, with this Cold War being warm again, okay? But all that is to say, going back on, if I could use this analogy for a bit, these two empires are always fighting. These two empires, so there's a clashing point. And they often clash, you guys know where? In the Levant. And the Levant would be actually where Israel would be at because that's almost like the road between empires okay and, and they're clashing often and they were advancing a little bit they'll take area and then they would fight back and then they'll go back and forth okay so kind of between that so to speak is is israel and if you look at israel geographically um yes there's mountains but but it, it isn't like super mountainous okay so it's almost like the flashpoint if you think geographically like poland or if i will ukraine which if you ever see the geography it's really flat area it's it's perfect for training with tanks when we were there Okay, when I was in the Marines much many years ago, it's a nice flat area. Okay, so so you see often the population take different sides when there's diff different parts that, that come over. Okay, so all this is to say, going back on with this, you see here this this description of, of the city, they would have known about its destruction, and you got to say, hey, they too could be destroyed. Okay, now let's look at the comparison of what ways did Thebes even had advantages that are similar to that of, Assyria, uh, of Nineveh, 
and at times even greater than. Okay, let's look at the description. I break this down in our this point is looking at verse eight. You see, eight uh, B. It's fortification. Okay, advantages. Okay, it's fortification advantages. I'm going to read verse eight again. It says, "Which was situated by the canals of the Nile, with waters surrounding her, whose rampart was the sea, whose wall." consisted of the sea okay if you notice there's a lot of mention of sea of water which is pretty ironic because most of the time we picture what egypt has the description of of it being a vast desert okay right that's often what we picture with that okay um when it says situated by the canals of the nile thebes was actually on the nile river now if you guys know your geography let me ask my daughters i want to test your girls geography girls um when was Kiev founded? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, the question for you guys would be this. Um, what is the longest river in the world? The Nile River. Yeah, okay, wow, okay. Okay, yeah, so the Nile River, okay? Or, uh, like how Abigail, Hannah said, uh, Amazon sometimes, right? Um, is also mentioned. I think it's the second, but it's, that's hard because it breaks down, like, you know, into all these various um, streams and, and, and all that stuff, right? Um, but one long continuous one is actually the Nile River. It's the long, world's longest river, okay? It, it stretches thousands of miles, okay? And a lot of this, the question then we ask is this. Um, when it says the Nile, and if you guys know anything about uh, wars, also rivers sometimes could provide protection also as well. It could provide protection if you guys know, again, I don't want to be too military of our sermon. I don't want to make it like end-time dispensational, like all crazy, everything like, <gasps> let's be, like that's what I'm doing, but just as an advantage of uh, understanding, right now, literally right now what's going on here, one of the city in Ukraine is attacked so crazy because it's next to a river that actually splits Ukraine into two. Now, if they could capture that, if they could capture that, that would finally, boom, um, be the advantage of splitting into two but once they cross that river, when they go to the other side, you know what they have? They're on the road highway to Kiev, okay? So it's approached for three different, four different angles, actually. But this one is why there, last night was massive shelling like we've not seen before. I'm bringing this up as to say rivers do offer protection. Sometimes people put, oh, but rivers, aren't they not? You could just roll, roll your boat down, and then you could attack. Well, we'll talk about that in a little bit. But rivers do often, in some, time, in some sense, provide geographical protection because you need to cross it, right? You need to cross over it. And then if you bring all your men's of war and all the gear and what the Syrians like to bring, your chariots, it's not an easy, it provides a natural what? Fortification in some sense. So the first part it says, with this advantage of fortification, is it's situated by the canals of the Nile. And of course, it probably would be situated by the canal because if you have a big city, you need water. And how many places could you get water in the Nile? You have to be near that in, in Egypt, okay? But it goes on, it says, with water surrounding her, and this part gets kind of curious because you don't usually think of Egypt being surrounded by water. I think, um, could you guys hear me right now a little bit? But okay. So uh, water surrounding her, I think it's probably referring that there's some kind of moat surrounding it. You know what I mean by moat? If you guys think of like when you guys were younger, learning about castles, there's water surrounding it. Um, this is not an uncommon tactic. In fact, this comparison is very similar to Nineveh, where we've learned in previous study through Nahum 2, and eventually we'll look at even the end. Water judgment is mentioned quite a bit in chapter 1, 2, and 3 because they have moat and they have rivers protecting it. They're running it to run a complex system with that. So water surrounding her, which is incredible because this is a city in a desert. But guess what else is a city with a desert, with water as a moat? We could think of also as well with what? With 
Nineveh also as well. That's a similarity, okay? And by the way, there's another advantage. Um, is also they have their desert is perhaps I think much harsher with no less, um, less um, inhabited cities when you're approaching it, because you can think of the vast Sahara Desert, right? Uh, with that side when you're coming from the east or from the west with that okay so which narrows down a corridor for any army um especially a non-modern army where you're gonna live off the land right you're gonna fleece the land you're gonna rob people to get their food and, and their produce to and plants to survive um so here we see that with that it's its advantage okay you also see with this it also says whose rampart was a sea and it's now saying the sea is a, some sort of defense. And I think if you go north of Egypt, what sea is there north of Egypt? Rebecca, Abigail, Hannah, could one of you girls tell me what sea is north of Egypt? Uh, Red sea. Not the Red Sea. Red Sea is maybe to the to the uh, east. Uh, no, uh, yeah, east. Um, but what sea? Right above. Yeah, Mediterranean Sea. Very good, okay? So that protects also as well from what? All the other people, and sometimes sea do separate people. Sometimes you could have invading uh, invaders, right? Seafaring people, like the Greeks later would when they get to... Um, Philistines, by the way, I think is actually from Europe. Seafaring people that went and landed in that Levant area, okay? But the sea would have provided an extra protection, okay? And it also says, whose, well, not only walls, was consisted of sea, but just put, put in perspective, what helps it protects it is also, where is it in the Nile? It's actually 500 miles south of the Nile of the Mediterranean. In other words, it's 500 miles that if there's an invading army that comes by sea, they're going to have to march 500 miles. Okay? Or if you're coming in through, if you know the land bridge from Sinai, from Israel, uh, the Levant area, all the way to the... You're gonna, once you touch Egypt, the delta, you're going to still go another 450-something miles before you ever get to the capital. So this is a very well-protected city, guys. And to put it in perspective, remember when we went over the book of jo uh, Jonah? Jonah would have traveled from Nineveh, a uh, correction, from Judah. It would have taken 500 miles. If you go straight without like, you know, uh, aeronautical miles, just like if you just go straight, not like wiggle room through roads and through cities and whatever else geography, 500 miles, air miles, straight from there to, um, what do you call that, uh, to Nineveh. So knowing this background, man, this is like almost like, for the armies to get to this, they would have marched, the Syrian army marched over a thousand miles. Put this in perspective, well over a thousand miles, and yet they could still be destroyed. They could still be destroyed. If they could be so much more in a military advantageous position, how much more is Nineveh, who is a city that's in a plain that has other nearby civilization much more closer to them, Okay, with much more rivers with the Tigris and Euphrates River to support the logistics of a war, how much more so would they be able to be what destroyed? So this is a warning of the hubris. This is an appropriate prayer what even James prayed for, uh, right? The humbling of the world, these nations, so that they would see Christ. And God is drawing this taunt with this, with the fortification system here. Let's look at also as well, also politically. We're not only looking at geographically, which is fortification, but verse 9 also talks about the political realities that Nineveh had allies, okay? Look at verses 9. Look at verses 9. It says, Ethiopia was her might. Egypt too, without limits. Put and Lubin was also her helpers, okay? 
<coughs> when you look here, there's actually four people group that are mentioned, okay? Four people group that are mentioned. There's mention of Ethiopians. And Ethiopians, by the way, are also mentioned as being one with her might, okay? Then there's also, secondly, um, uh, put, okay? And of course, they mentioned Egypt herself. And same Egypt herself, without even these others, she herself is already without limits. She's a very, she's a world-class world power, so to speak, okay? Um, and then, thirdly, uh, another uh, people group is mentioned is Put, okay? And Lubin, okay? Lubin. When you read this, for the Jewish readers who know their scriptures, who know their Old Testament, you know who they would have, reading this, would have echoed, actually, the Bible, in Genesis chapter 10, verse 6. If you guys could put your pinky, uh, pinky or bookmark or paper in uh, Nahum and turn with me real quick to Genesis chapter 10, verse 6. Genesis chapter 10, verse 6. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 10, verse 6. When we turn there, um, when we turn to Genesis chapter 10, verse 6, Abigail, could you be my happy, motivated reader? In big girl voice, could you come up and read Genesis chapter 10, verse 6? Okay, Genesis 10, verse 6. Come close. Mm -hmm. yes. Genesis the sons 10. of Ham were Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. Okay, thank you so much. Okay, Cush is another name. Okay, Marmy said you did a good job. Okay, Cush is actually another name or the Hebrew name for Ethiopians. Okay, you know what's fascinating about this in context? Genesis 10 is actually the table of nations. This is, um, this is the record, if you will. That what happened in Genesis 11, the next chapter, when God, because of the Tower of Babel, split the people into different nations. It mentions that among the sons of Ham, one of the descendant, one of the sons of um, Noah, notice it mentioned it breaks into three different groups, okay? It, uh, or other groups. It mentioned uh, Cush, Mijiam, and Put, and uh, Canaan, okay? Um, with this, in, in the Hebrew, if you guys go back with me to Nahum, uh, chapter 3, these words, these nations are actually mentioned in the same order, okay? They're mentioned in the same order. And you know what's, what, what, why is this significant? Is um, what, what I think is significant about this is this. When it mentioned this, this should remind us that you, when you read and you read this and you think, oh, wow, this looks like, sounds just like Genesis 10.6. And Genesis 10.6 was a long time ago, even before um, hundreds of thousands of years, perhaps even um, before Nahum take place. And this should tell us that this alliance was a long alliance, okay? This Egyptian alliance with Ethiopia, and by the way, Ethiopia itself is really strong, okay? Even today, if you look at the Sahara, um, north, uh, you know, everything above the Sahara Desert, the, the country that's biggest is Egypt, right, because of the Nile River. But the next group of people is actually the Ethiopians. Now, I know for some of you guys might be older, you might think, oh, wait, didn't... Are they really that powerful? Because in the 80s, there's a famine. But I think that famine in the 80s was man-made when there was a communist revolution and, 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 and all of these things, okay? But Ethiopian is actually, there's quite a bit of people, right? Um, there, there, it's, it's actually a rich land and with that. If I could have this as an analogy, um, Ethi Egypt itself was already strong. And what is Ethiopia to them? If I could break this in military analogy, and again, I'm not trying to make everything Russian, but I think this explains some of the things that's going on. Russia itself is a big country, and it's pretty strong in that way, in, in some sense. But 
Also, they also like to have another area that they like to have under them. Throughout all history, through various empires, the czars and and, and, and during the Marxist, Marxist time of the um, uh, of the you know Stalin and all that stuff, is they actually like to have Georgia, uh, not Georgia, is Ukraine. Ukraine is what the second biggest country in Europe, which is the breadbasket, right? Egypt is actually a breadbasket for the Mediterranean, um, the whole Mediterranean world. Just for you guys to know. Right, that's why when Rome conquered it, they wanted it so much badly, Egypt, because if they could get bread, they could not only tell people, "Hey, listen to us," because our military is strong, our Roman legions, but also here's a great offer. I give you a really good package deal. Right, we bundle it up with um, carrot and stick. Right, the the stick part is they have a big Roman legion army that's professional and very violent, but all the other part is if you listen, hey, bread is very cheap, wheat is very cheap because of that. So, in the equivalent of that is they would use these. Um, the Nubians or, or the um, Ethiopians for, for manpower, for war, okay? So that was her might. That's why it says here it's her might, okay? Um, they would use these. And, and even historically, Ukrainians, there's a famous group, a warrior group of people called Cossacks, the guys that fight on horse, that are mercenaries for all throughout that region, okay? And that has also not only been the case in World War II, the, the Germans used them as mercenaries, but all throughout histories, people like to fight Cossacks or, or to have them to fight, okay? Um, and they were a very powerful warrior because they were just at that transitional area of different empires, okay? The Ottomans and, and everything else. That's the same thing like Armenians. Historically, Armenians um, was not ever under fully the Roman Empire, but they were just between empires. They wisely navigated. And Armenians, historically, were people that were always fighting uh, everyone and for everyone. And that's how they were able to keep themselves strong um, so that people don't conquer them and say, hey, we would fight for you and that kind of stuff. But going back on, Ethiopian was the same way. Then the other one, Put and Lumen, I wasn't able to research uh, much about, but you can see here, one thing again, like the comparison, what's the advantage? Is this is a country, Egypt was a country that had thousands of years of alliance. Whereas when you look at Assyria, their history is they often make alliance, and those alliances were just very temporary. It was not for going back for hundreds and thousands of years. Does that make sense? Um, this area was very volatile um, then and also as well with now where these people would, d different people group would switch alliance right away. And if a Syrian can't have an ally they could fully trust, and you look at this, Egypt had an alliance that they could trust that have a tradition, um, a geopolitical tradition that's gone back thousands of years. And how much more, if they could be destroyed, you would think, would you think Nineveh even have the ability to escape when they have shifting alliance where people could say, hey, I'm with you, and in the last moment say, hey, you know what, no, I'm going to invade you, okay? In fact, that's exactly what's going to happen. Babylon, which is south to, of them, which is about 60 to 100 miles south, later on would say, it, their army is going everywhere, they're like, hey, this opens up a wide flank. No one else is guarding the capital? Hmm, we're going to come with our armies and invade, okay? That's where you see the, um, the Babylonians and the Medes. So again, this shows here, the uh, alliance here, the advantage, and yet, this is make the astounding point, God is going to say, if you look at them, they're even better than you. And yet, they could be destroyed. I think there's a relevance of this here. Because I actually think 2021 was a year that America was really humbled, right? Where we compare the Americans leaving Afghanistan as almost like the Vietnam War debacle. We remember the planes, we remember all the, the horrors of that, right? And, and people dying. And, and that was just, man, last year was hard for me in that way. But that does not mean... An empire, another country could say, oh, look, America's humble. They shouldn't be first place, world policemen, blah, blah, blah. But if you rise, does that mean you're going to be as successful? And I don't know if that necessarily means you have an easier job, okay? And I think you actually, in some ways, I personally think you see a humbling of another country 
in current events today. And there's a third country, I don't want to go into the details, but there's a third country I think that's seen, oh, two powers weakening, maybe we could take over. Maybe then we could also be with that. Now that, they're, that Russia to our neighbor is being depleted um, north of us, right? And maybe America's weakening because look at all these things. Maybe we will be the world power. And guess what? Mark my word, they will also one day be humbled by God also as well. That is the lesson we need to learn here. Okay? We're not tied to our country first. We need to be loyal to God first. And every empire throughout history will be, what, humble, okay? And it will be humbled by people sometimes you think that you would think would not even be the one that you'd be humble with. By the way, Ukraine, this is not the first time a country, an empire have went there have been humbled, okay? That's always easy. You know, another one, more recent history, is the British Empire. If you guys ever, if you, for those of you guys that love, like, um, romanticized British history, you guys, I don't know if anyone here knows about the Charge the Light Brigade. It's like the one of the last time the British used cavalry sword to uh, uh, cavalry soldiers on horse to charge, and you know where it was? The British. Was the British. Yeah, that was the yeah. British. I think mentions the Cossacks in the poem, like the poem yeah. the charge led. Gary talks about the Cossacks. Yeah, and it was then when they were invaded Crimea, the, the Crimean War, which is Crimea is actually south of Odessa, in uh in south of Ukraine. Right, which the Russians took over in 2013. So I bring that up as it says this: when, if you study the history of the British invading there, they were basing upon, oh no, we're redcoats. We have like 150 years of winning. We're gonna fight these guys. They think, you know, we are a modern army. We we're all cool. We're, you know, we look at our bright uniform. And guess what? Man, they got a spanking. Okay. Again, this is to say, and you right now, you you know, we can say, oh, they're small or whatever. It's you know, same thing. You'd be surprised how empires could be what humbled by the unlikeliest of things where you say hey, they don't have the economy they don't have anything they're just guys fighting wearing sandals right never underestimate your enemy number one and secondly empires are humbled by sources that they would not even expect okay so let's go to point number two it's not just only humbling god also goes further to make this point yet thebes was destroyed yet thebes was destroyed in verses 10 Anna, could you be my motivated reader to read verse 10? Okay. If you could come over here. I'll help you. I know there's perhaps some vocabulary or words. Nahum 3.10. You can come over here. Come closer so they can hear. Yes, she became an exile. exile. She went into captivity. captivity. Also, her small children were Smash. Smashed to pieces at the heart of head. head of every street. They cast lots for the on honorable honorable man, and all her great men were bored bound bound with flesh. shackles. Shackles. Okay, thank you so much for reading. Okay, you read that. Okay. So we see here in verses 10, you see it also says, yet thieves was destroyed, okay? This is one of the reasons why we could date the book of Nahum, that it must have been written because thieves was destroyed, but it, um, in history, it actually rebuilt right away, okay? It rebuilt pretty quickly. Um, so there was only a certain window of time uh, with this. Um, so we know that thieves was already destroyed, um, and it couldn't have been fully rebuilt yet, where then they say, hey, look at it being rebuilt to make the argument. So... The dating of this, I think, is just so amazing with this book, um, with that. Um, in fact, sometimes if if you're not careful, some people would even think Thieves was never destroyed because it was just only a small blimp 
in that history, okay? Because um, God didn't predict that it would be destroyed forever, okay? But with Nahum, Nineveh will be destroyed forever. Let's look at verses 10 with these details. Um, I want to talk a little about the details of when it was destroyed or when it was attacked. Um, it was actually attacked by the Syrian king Ashur ben Pa. Okay, I can't pronounce things. In 663, what happened was um, there was a war where um, I think it was his father um, was fighting the Egyptians um, in like the Levant area, like, you know, where um, Israel and that whole area. They're going back and forth near Turkey. And they're going all these battles. So they um, during that battle, I think... Um, don't quote me here on this I believe that the father died And then the son got really mad Like oh what Like um, You're gonna have this guy So to punish To revenge He chased the army all the way And even went all the way To the capital Okay So when you think about it That's a big logistical nightmare And the, and the reality of war Is the farther away from home you are It's dangerous in two ways You stretch your supply line Because you need to feed your soldiers Right Um they often say in studying military stuff, uh, amateurs study strategy, experts study logistics. Because no matter how motivated your soldiers are, if they don't have beans and bullets or, or weapons, they're not going to be able to fight, okay? So amateurs study strategy, um, experts, professionals study logistics, okay? So, and not only the other thing, but back then, there was another reason why they didn't want to be that far. If you're far away, what if someone overthrow you, okay, when you're a thousand miles away from home? So there got to be some really mad reason for you to go all the way that far. And what's that mad reason? It's because of the death of the father. Okay, So he invades there Okay, in 663, um, all the way to the capital. And actually when it was attacked, when Thebes was attacked, do you guys know how long Thebes have not been attacked for? How long Thebes have been in peace, a city of peace all that time? Now, it's been for a thousand years. For how long? A thousand. Could you imagine a city that's been in peace for a thousand years? Man, you know, when you think about it that way, America is a, such a young country. Um, our oldest city is probably, what, way under 500 years, right? 400 something, 450. You think about like 1600, that kind of thing, right? That's a pretty short history. And even for me, you know, visiting Charleston this last year, I was thinking, wow, that's so much history, so long. But man, everywhere else in the world, Cities that have longer history. Could you imagine a city with a thousand years that they've not been attacked? And, and not just any other city, but a city that's a capital. When you've been fighting, when this has been a city with wars, and people have invaded them, okay? Seafar, seafaring people have invaded them in the Delta area and even taken over. But itself, the capital, has been spared for a thousand years. And now, now remember when I mentioned about how long has Assyria have not experienced any defeat when Nahum was written before Nahum's destruction, uh, correction, uh, Nineveh's destruction. It was for a hundred years. It was for a hundred years. And when Nahum, during Nahum's time, when Nineveh says, hey, for a hundred years, we've never been defeated. No one's attacked our capital for a hundred years. Yet when you look at the street cred of Thebes, and they're a UFC fighting champion, no one has attacked them ten times as long, a thousand years. And yet this was what happened. Let's look at this description. You see the description that the city was exiled. There's something about the city that perhaps was moved away as a capital for a moment because it says she was in exile. She was went into captivity. Okay, she was basically, in other words, no more. People were not occupying. It was not important for her time. And sadly, there's this very vivid description in verse um, verse ten. Also, it says what? Also, her small children were smashed to pieces. 
Okay, this does recall for us in scripture other times where God describes judgment. Okay, which shows, by the way, God's judgment of Judah and also the nations is still the same way. Okay, still the same way um, with that. But then it goes on and says um, they cast. Uh, uh, it goes on. Uh, uh, I mean, it's such a vivid description. And it goes on. I mean, did you notice the different range here? Um, it's almost there's like a memorism that's going on here. What I mean by that, it's a uh, literary device where you have like, for instance, when we say black or white, okay, rich and poor, right? Young and old, two terms that shows the range, the most extreme range and everything in between. There's something like this too. It goes from the youngest small children was affected. They're dashed to pieces at the head of every street. And then it also described what? They cast lot for honorable men, okay? These are guys that are full adult. They've been, they're now being cast and they're being really trafficked to be sold under the slavery system to others and other people and all these things. And of course, some of them would be used as slave for the building project of the Assyrian um, to build the height and the glory of Nineveh. And also says, and all her great men were bound with shackles. Okay. In other words, you see these description, the city exile, number one. Children murder number two and number three people are in slavery. This is what happened to Thebes. As unconquerable as you think it it could be, guess what happened? This is what was possible. Okay, this was what was possible. I think as a general rule, as application with the second point, whenever we sin, please don't ever think that we could be so well protected that there could never be any consequences. Okay. In fact, sometimes temptation, if you, re- if you really think about the nature of, if you break down the anatomy of temptation, every temptation is like a minefield, is like a mine, right? There's a trigger and there's a bait, okay, um, with temptation. Uh, when you think about it, every bait is a lie. If you think about sin, it's often the temptation, it, you have this visual thing, but it's always two-dimensional. And there's never consequences you never pictured consequences so part of battling temptation is realize a you need to confront with biblical truth the lie that is the bait where it says you can have enjoy this with no consequences and you know what we learn is man there's nowhere to hide with god in our modern era there's nowhere if there's number one rule of war that they taught us in the marines is if you can see an enemy they can see you if you can shoot an enemy they could shoot you Right? Don't ever think, oh, wow, I get to shoot. Well, if they could, you're like, oh, well, maybe they don't have that weapon. Or they, they could have something else that could reach you. So that's the number one rule you need to realize. Same thing when it comes to confronting sin. We would never, ever be able to be so safe, so insulated. That there's no way that no... You could be in the darkest room, closed, and there's nothing else. And guess what? Who knows? A random car could run through or whatever else. There's no safety. By the way, the Bible never promised ever when you're not outside the will of God's outside the moral will of God, right? That you would be safe. There will always be consequences, right? And remember that passage in Proverbs, the way of a sinner is what? Is hard. So that's an application we need to realize. You can say, okay, maybe I could run the best terrorist network in the world and hide in the middle and never leave my room, okay? And be in a place where all these other people and my house don't have any internet. And guess what happened to Osama? 10, 11 years later, some guys with mass break down your door and just take you out okay so don't ever think you can avoid that okay um so we need to see with this uh, application and let's go to um our last point 
Point number three, this is going to be short because of time. Point number three, therefore Nineveh too will fall. Therefore Nineveh too will fall. Verse 11 says this, You too will become drunk. You will be hidden. You too will search for a refuge from the enemy. Verses 11, God uses language to say all these things is not just a history lesson. But the history lesson is to be applied to Thebes. And therefore, I mean, uh, Nineveh. It should also, by the way, should be applied to us also as well. Verses 11 uses different imagery to describe God's judgment. The first part is you too will be drunk. Um, I know sometimes in America we think of the imagery from our popular world culture. Drunk is like cool and everything else. But God often uses it as an imagery to say God will judge. Okay, And what are they drunk with is actually drunk with God's wrath. Turn with me real quick to Isaiah 51. Isaiah 51 verses 17 to 23. Isaiah 51 verses 17 to 23. Again, why we're looking at this is because I want to show you how... Isaiah connects, correction, Nahum uses so much imagery and he's connecting with other passages of scripture to connect with other puzzle pieces to make it more rich of this theme. He's just dropping just that word drunk, but guess what? It's connected. Okay, could you guys hear me? Okay, I think I might have a connection problem. Um, Isaiah 51 verses, um, Isaiah 51 verse 17 to 23 says this. Rouse yourself, rouse yourself, arise, O Jerusalem, ye have drunk from the Lord's hand the cup of his anger, the chalice of reeling, ye have drained the dregs. There is none to guide her among all the sons she has borne, nor is there one to take her by the hand among all the sons she has reared. These two things have befallen you, and it goes on, okay? For the sake of time, you see the judgment is like an imagery of drunkenness, and God is judging. And you go back to Nahum chapter 3, verse 11, it says, You too will be. Be, become drunk you be hidden you search for a refuge from the enemy and it's describing them hey you're running away trying to seek shelter right trying to seek shelter when we look at this verse we see Nahum too will be judged and why God tells all this is there is a history lesson He's. Go I hope you guys are finding it enriching knowing the historical details certainly I do but remember the application for Nineveh was to know all this is not just only to review history lesson, to do well in a history test, but it's to know, A, application, forsake sin, okay? And God will judge. This imagery of being drunk with God's wrath, we then lead and end with this question, because all of us have sinned. I've sinned. We sin every day. How could we be, how could we be spared from the wrath of God to come? How could we be spared from drinking the wrath and this cup of God's wrath? You know, someone actually drank the cup of God's wrath, right? Turn with me uh, to Luke chapter 23. Um, we see here that we see God's, um, when Christ was going to, um, oh man. So when we see that, actually, I'm sorry, I'm doing this on the fly, um, which is not good. Um, if you guys, maybe a better passage is in correction. Oh, sorry, guys. More. Oh, 22 Okay, sorry. Luke, uh, Luke. Okay, Luke 22, verse 42. Thank you, Nancy. 
Okay. Luke twenty two forty two. You notice when Christ was about to die that night, he said what? Father, if it's you you are willing, remove this cup from me. Not only my will, but your be done. You know, we look at that and some people think, Oh, maybe Jesus actually was tempted to disobey. I don't think what's going on here is disobedience is because Jesus is struggling with obedience. I think what's going on here is you have to realize that cup is the wrath of God. Is the wrath of God. And he's never experienced the wrath from God the Father. And remember, he's, you know, part of not sinning is also having a constant communal relations with him. But yet, without sin, that relations with God the Father is going to be broken in such a way where the wrath of God is being poured out. Now, Jesus Christ, when he prays, if you look at all throughout the gospel, every time he prays, things happen, right? But if there's ever one time that God's prayer, Jesus' prayer was answered, no, it's here, right? If no, it superficially means that the cup is removed. Obviously, he also prays, your, your will be done, which is still yes, right? Is God's will still, you know, his prayer is still answered yes because he prays God's will. But my point is this, aren't you so glad that God answered his prayer, no? Because that's the basis for you and I, our salvation. Our sin as a nation, we have a lot of blood on our hand as a nation. You know, we fought a lot of wars that I think was not necessarily always for the right reason. We have abortion. We have all kinds of sin that we have. And yet we see, what do we see here in verses 11? Right, We are a country that is okay with drugs. Even heavy drugs that a little dose could kill people. And yet we have... What policies we see here? All these murders, all these blood on the hand. We deserve to have our kids stashed. We deserve all these wrath. But we could find refuge in God through Jesus Christ, who took on His wrath. Let's close in a word of prayer first, okay? My God, we just thank you, Lord, for this word. Help us don't just see this as about politics. But Lord, even as we see analogies of today that kind of help us illuminate appreciate this passage more help us too, just like then learn the application for our life to forsake sin and go to the savior who took on the cup of wrath and saved us thank you in jesus name we pray amen okay any applications